This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the Dragonfly range of USB DACs. Click to audioquest.com for more information. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast with Michael Lavornia of Twittering Machines. He's calling us again from his barn. Welcome, Michael. <laughs> Thank you for getting it right. Good to be here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's leap straight into it because I just, uh, we've got a topic for today. The topic is this term that I sort of developed about five years ago called Futurefy. It's a bit cheesy, but it, it kind of came back to my, well, the, the forefront of my mind across the last couple of weeks because of a bunch of products that seem to sort of fit into what I think Futurefy is. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to breeze through them because I don't want to kind of go into the details of each of these new products because they're pretty much all new. So this week we've had, well, last week we had news of the KEF LSX2, which is a streaming active loudspeaker. Um, SVS is soon shipping their Prime Wireless Pro streaming active loudspeaker. I wrote last week about the YG Acoustics Vantage Live, which you tipped me off about, Michael. Thank you for that. Mm. Um, Which is a very expensive streaming active loudspeaker with the streaming electronics in an outboard box, which then are optically connected to the speakers themselves. Yep. And then we also, well, I I found some more out about the the T plus A Solitaire T headphones, which Mm. I mentioned in the Munich podcast because they are $1,300 and they have Bluetooth on board. What I didn't know at the time of that particular podcast taping was that these headphones are actually designed to be home listening headphones. So plug them into your headphone amp and also Bluetooth headphones. So take them anywhere into the streets. They're meant to sort Mm. of straddle those two worlds, which I didn't know. So that's probably why they are 1300 euros. And then for the last few weeks, literally for the last three and a half weeks up until about four days ago, I've had the KEF LS60 wireless in situ, and I've been listening to them, well, casually, but also, I hate the term serious listening. I mean, I haven't been <laughs> I haven't been sat in front of these KEFs for four weeks, furrowed brow, listening to kind of serious music. No, not at all. But I've mm. done a bit of that, and I've obviously been swapping the gear out with other, sorry, swapping the, the KEF LS60 out with other gear to do comparisons because they are the cornerstone of really what I do, because that's how you've, you know, really assess what what a product is and its value proposition by comparing it to similarly priced stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've had the LS60 wireless, yeah, in for the last few weeks. That probably will be probably be the one of the the most popular streaming active or just no one of the most popular loudspeakers I think that will come out this year. But the reason I've sort of lumped all of these products together. So the LSX2, the Prime Wireless Pro, the Vantage Live, the Solitaire T, and the LS60 Wireless is because they all have amps, DACs, and streaming receivers built in. <laughs> and this is what brought to mind my, well, I actually wrote an article back in March of 2017 called Futurefy Now, <laughs> which was, um, it was, <laughs> I guess I, I reread it this morning thinking, yeah, this is a little bit I don't know, maybe a bit naive, but I was sort of grizzling on the homogeny of hi-fi shows, which is something I've I've kind of grizzled about a lot. 
and, and well, since I started doing hi-fi coverage, but I was trying to, instead of just moaning about something, I was trying to propose a solution. So I had this, uh, this sort of idea for an imaginary hi-fi show mm. where basically it would only feature FutureFi products. And I kind of want to sort of dig into what FutureFi products are today. And this sort of idea came into being actually, even before I kind of coined the term, because I'd, I think I'd started knocking it around on my website just here and there back in 2015 and 16, because that was when we started to see more amplifiers with DACs and streamers and maybe phono stages built in. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had streaming amplifiers with DACs built in for quite some time. And then back in the, what, the 80s and the 90s, they had phono stages built in. But in the sort of mid, yeah, mid 2010s, we started to see amplifiers with many different add-ons included in, in the box. And I, I kind of coined the term super integrated. Again, a bit cheesy, mm. but I just think it gets the message across that this is an integrated with more than just a DAC or more than just a phono stage. And it has, I guess, my sort of self, yeah, what's the word? Self-implemented? No, self, yeah, I don't know. Like basically my definition of a super uh, yeah. integrated, right, is mm. that it must have two or more of those additional features. So an app, oh. a DAC, a streamer, Phono stage. Criteria, I think. Criteria, yes. My criteria, yes. Sometimes I forget the words. Yeah. <laughs> and I think at the time in 2015, I just spent a bit of time reviewing and raving about actually the, the DeVLA expert. I think it might have been the 200 back then, you know, the sort of the chromed pizza box amplifier. Sure. Yeah. Which I think was bigger news back then than it is now. It seems to have sort of fallen off people's radar, but that mm -hmm. was... I mean, that was probably what I would consider to be the first really, truly quintessential piece of mm -hmm. FutureFi, right? Because it, had, well, it yeah. had a class A slash D amplifier. It had phono staging, DA conversion, streaming. Mm. It didn't do headphones, but everything else was covered. And it was in a really cool looking box, right? Yeah, and the remote was beautiful as well. The remote was, the, and probably still is, my favorite remote ever because yeah. it's like a volume wheel on a sort of a fairly solid mount. It was heavy. Did that have room correction? I can't remember. I did review one of those, but. I don't think it did, but it did have hmm. that thing called, what was it called, SAM or Speak, speak Active Matching. Uh, yes, so yes, you could yes, load yes. in your profiles for your speaker and it would correct mm. for that speaker. Mm. Which I thought was pretty clever. So DVLA were traveling around the world, measuring all sorts of speakers, and then uploading the profiles to their yeah. website. That you could download, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was a. But I remember seeing that first one in 2012, 2013. But I didn't get my hands on one until like 2015. Mm. But that for me was a bit of a turning point because not long thereafter, I think this was Rocky Mountain 2015 or 2016. I always forget this one, but it was when Name introduced the Unity Atom. Mm, okay. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm about to open a bottle of water. So if it makes a shh sound, <laughs> um, so the name Unity Atom, I've still got one, and I I gotta say, I, I reckon it's probably one of my favourite pieces of hi-fi of all time. <laughs> I, I just think it's bloody brilliant, and it's not just because of the way it sounds. There are mm. better amplifiers out there, undoubtedly, but it's compact. It has an amazing volume wheel on the top, which I think rivals the the Devilay Experts remote. Mm. 
It's got a streamer built in. It's got a DAC built in. Doesn't have a phono stage. Does have a headphone socket, but I won't call it a headphone amplifier. Um, yeah, and I, I just think that's. I mean, have you played with that, Michael, or no? I have not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, it's it's funny. It, it's always nice to be able to refer back, you know, to reviews, especially if they go back to into the early, the you know, 2012, 2013. I mean, I, I just don't remember. Mm. <clears throat> and unfortunately, you know, AudioStream has been uh, disappeared. Right. <laughs> yes. Web. So, yeah, so that's almost like that chunk of memory is gone. Um, so, but yeah, my, to the best of my recollection, <laughs> I'll say no. Um, I'd yeah, never right. reviewed it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's high time we had a, a name unity atom too, or a successor, but I'm, I'm yeah, I, I don't sure. know where that's going to come. I've got no idea, but in fact, I'm using the name unity atom right now because I was going through a whole bunch of amplifiers in the last couple of days to see which one would work the best with these JBL 4349 mm, passive mm. loudspeakers, right? I've been through loads of them, but the name Unity Atom just knocked it out of the park. I'm like, ah. yes, you beauty. Like, I'll talk more about that in the video that I'm going to make about those JBLs, but mm. the Unity Atom was just perfect, just so good. But it doesn't have yeah, a photo that... stage, which is kind of an, not annoying, but it's a minor niggle, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I do remember seeing that it shows the Unity Atom, and it is. It's a wonderful-looking mm. uh, piece of gear as well. I do really appreciate different form factors when they make sense. Like, as mm. you know, this thing was designed ground up. You could see it in the design, size of the screen, and all these, you know, design choices, which is so nice um, to see. I mean, it, it is – I think the NAD M10 uh, – looks like a cousin <laughs> it does yeah and so as does the cambridge audio evo 75 mm. and 150 right because they are these sort of half width or two-thirds width smaller yes. boxes mm -hmm. and that has definitely been a trend in i guess what i would call future fire amplifiers like the blue sound power node is even smaller right it's this kind of yeah. bricks like yeah what do you call it what do you call it in america we call them breeze blocks you call them besser blocks or is that australian yeah, that's not US. I don't even know what that is. It's like a big gray sort of, it's not concrete. It's quite porous. A cinder it's block? A cinder block. Thank you. Right. That's what it is. Ah. Yeah. Like a big cinder, cinder block amplifier. So the Blue Sound node has streaming and a DAC, but it also, it doesn't have a phono stage, but it does have two way Bluetooth. So you can stream out of it. Right. Which I thought, yeah, that's pretty mm. cool. So there's some mm -hmm. extra features there. We've seen the Moon Neo Ace, which I haven't played with, but uh, Phil Wright, who writes for Dark Audio in the UK, he has. That's a full-width streaming DAC integrated amplifier. I think it has a phono stage as well, I think. Hmm. Um, and then I've played extensively with the, the Hegels, the 390, the 590, the 190 streaming DAC on board. No mm -hmm. phono stage. The 190 has a headphone socket. And I, I still don't understand why the 390 and the 590 don't, but again, <laughs> minor quibbles. But those are like sort of big, chunky, old-school-looking uh, amplifiers, really, integrated. But, I mean, sure. you and I have discussed this many times sort of on the phone about how much we love integrated amps. Yeah. Yep. And so this, this sort of Futurefy concept takes that to its sort of next step, doesn't it? It, like, gets your integrated amp and then puts in a streamer, a DAC, maybe a phono stage, maybe some other things which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and I, Last week, Volumio 
well, they, well, they, had, they actually teased it in Munich, but they hmm. sent me the press release for their Integro streaming amplifier. It's a little sort of Class D box, which I th- it also has a, a dedicated headphone amp on board, but it's, you know, there's a DAC inside. It's got a Volumio streamer inside. Ah. So I think that will be pretty popular. That comes in around the sort of maybe a bit cheaper than the Blue Sound Power Node, similar sort of form factor. It's so, very nice looking based on the yeah. picture you have in that post. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty pretty nice. So mm. there are, I guess I'm just, I wrote this little list out today just of things that came to mind. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I've forgotten as many things as I've remembered and probably, yeah. So I'm just trying to give examples of mainly, yeah, streaming amplifiers is really what we're talking about here, right? Sure. Yeah, of course it makes perfect sense. You know, as time, you know, so I have an old, um, an old Sansui integrated from the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has phono built in mm-hmm. tape built in tape loop mm-hmm. <laughs> built in. <laughs> but you know, if you go back in time, it, 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 when new technologies come up, it makes sense to have, uh, integrated amps incorporate, those new technologies. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of the streaming integrated amplifier. Um, and also I do like it when they include phono. I do because Me to too. my mind, it's, it's, I mean, phono is clearly records are still so popular. You can mm. say with uh, some caveat attached, but nonetheless, it's not, it's a nice to have feature. They are, but I think the great thing about having putting streaming well, putting a yeah, putting a stream into your amplifier mm. is that as we'll see in a bit, you can do stuff with that stream that is seems to be much harder to do outside of a streaming amplifier. I don't know why. Again, we'll come to that in a bit. But mm. Mm. the other the other sort of, I guess, my thinking on Futurefy sort of falls into sort of two categories, like streaming amps, and then also streaming loudspeakers. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing with a pair of Dynaudio ZO2 in 2016. So mm-hmm. a little sort of pint-sized streaming active. Oh, actually, maybe they weren't streaming. They had Bluetooth, but they didn't have anything else. But they had a Tosling input, and they were really cute. And I just thought, this is great for anybody who wants to kind of sort of spruce up their TV listening with a bit of music as well. This is really before the rise of, well, was it? Well, maybe smart TVs were kind of just coming up then. Mm. But you could still stream some stuff through your TV and then, you know, wang it into the, uh, the Dynaudios. But then I think the, the, really, the company that really hit it out of the park later that year was Kef with the LS50 wireless, the version yes. one, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was yeah. big deal. I mean, we look back at it now and go, well, the, you know, the apps are a bit clunky. And unless you kind of use Rune, it wasn't exactly pleasurable to use on the app front. But then we've mm. had the wireless two, which has sorted that. Um, Dali Callisto, I played with that in twenty sixteen or seventeen. I think it was just when I moved here. Mm-hmm. That has an outboard sound hub, so it's act- streaming active speakers that talk to an outboard sound hub wirelessly. Um, yeah, and then so, and I've mentioned the others like you know, LS sixty, LS fifty, wireless two, LS X two. I'm just trying to think of other streaming loudspeakers. Michael, can you think of any? Because I, um. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't, I could think of. Uh, or even the, those with just with sort of DACs inside and maybe just a. 
Well, the Grim Disney Audio, Bo- and they were they were early-ish on the scene. They were, yeah. Um, is that the yeah. LS1, isn't it? The LS1, that's what they called? Yeah, yeah, yes, the LS1. And now there's a, you know, there's a more recent incarnation. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would add, certainly add the Grim Audio there. Uh, and See, on purpose, of, I'm trying not mm. to mention the keys and the Dutch and Dutch because I want to come to them later. Yes. Because yeah. they do more than just sort of streaming stuff or connect to your streamer. They they go that extra mile, which is where, well, I think most people probably can work out where we're headed. But Yeah, I think I'll stop trying to think of ones because more than likely <laughs> I'll name some that are on that next list. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I was trying to try to do the, like the top three most well-known streaming loudspeakers in the world and none of them are really what you would consider to be part of the audiophile space Hmm. one of them well the third number three the third one tried to start that way but it didn't really work out that well for them but it's a super popular speaker sold in depart high-end department stores around the world they're sold in their own little sort of pop-up stores especially in asia and that's the devil phantom Hmm. which is a complete streaming active loudspeaker system. There's yeah. like two different sizes and they've renamed them recently. And I'm not really fully across the naming, but it's this sort of dinosaur egg of a speaker. And yeah. <laughs> anybody that tries to tell me that that thing sounds terrible. Yeah. This is, this is the problem with future fire. It really, I, I wanted this concept talk beyond the purists that seem to try and, rubbish everything new that comes along that doesn't fit into the mold of passive speakers old school separates and a hi-fi rack because yeah. as you can tell if we're talking about futurefy amps and speakers we don't need a hi-fi rack because mm. everything's in the amp or in the speakers right yes the next most famous example of futurefy loudspeakers are, are those made by bang bang i can never say it bang and olufsen mm. right so they used to have a store actually just behind me here in where I live, but they closed that. So it's not a, necessarily a good sign, but there's mm. another one on the other side of the city and they make very, very attractive, very good sounding streaming active loudspeakers. Yeah. Not for the purists, but like the WLA Phantom, like many of the things we've spoken about, they have aesthetic appeal that traditional hi-fi can only dream of. Yeah. Right, and this is a big oh. part of my sort of concept with Futurefy is that it's it's hi-fi gear that doesn't take over the lounge room or your life. It's discreet. It's yes. minimalistic, right? It looks kind of cool. So, yeah. But of course, I think the most famous example of streaming active loudspeakers is a brand that I think even my parents would know about, and that's Sonos. Yeah. Um, yeah. To my mind, they. They they seem to own that space. I did look it up. Um, I did look up their annual revenue uh, for 2021. It's mm-hmm. a uh, public company, so right. Unlike most high high end companies, but it was 1.3 billion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I. I. I, I don't know. Um, uh, the t- total revenue for high end hi-fi. I'd love to get at that number. Um, there is a report out there floating around, but it's behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, I, I may try and get some information from it, but I, I would imagine that the combined revenue for the high end industry 
isn't far off that mark. Right. Yeah, I've got no idea, but I do know that Sonos. I mean, even if you if you just put put to the put their revenue to one side for a moment, mm. their brand awareness is outstanding. I mean, you <laughs> all of my friends were just you know, if I mentioned expensive audio, the first thing they'll say is Sonos. Yeah. Yeah, well, right. I mean, they, years a few years ago, they advertised during Super Bowl, which is the the most expensive ad spot mm-hmm. you can you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So yeah. I mean, I've owned a pair of Play Ones. I've mm. I think last year or the year before, I did a video about the what used to be called the Play Fives, they're now called the Fives. They're not terrible. They're actually pretty damn good. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I could definitely live with them, maybe in a pinch. But then again, you know, it only takes a little while to kind of adapt to that sort of new normal and I'd be more than happy and they're super easy to set up. True play is pretty effective. What I like about true play is it tells even the most layman of listeners that their room has an impact upon the sound that they hear mm. from their speakers. Mm. Yeah. Even if true play can be a bit hit and miss in time, sometimes you have to run it a few times to kind of get something that you think is an improvement over the default sound. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the Sonos ecosystem for all of its sort of controversies, like last year was the year before, they split their system into new and old, so S1 and S2. Hmm. So, I mean, the S1 products still work. You just have to use the S1 app, and they don't get any of the new features that are being rolled out to S2. So people yeah. who say, oh, yeah, this stuff's going to get discontinued and it's going to be turned into a doorstop in five years. It's not true. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's not going to get any new features, which I think, yeah, it's kind of reasonable. But – you know, I guess that's one of the – well, we'll talk about the limitations in a moment. I kind of wanted to talk about the benefits of active loudspeakers, streaming active loudspeakers, because, you know, a lot of people might just think, well, it's a, an active loudspeaker is just a speaker with the amplifier inside the speaker box, right? Mm-hmm. But it's more than that, because if you just put an amplifier inside the speaker box, so you have the amplifier going through – the crossover, and then that crossover is a passive crossover made up of capacitors, inductors, and resistors hmm. that splits the signal to your, say, let's say your your tweeter and your mid bass driver. That's what's called a powered loudspeaker. Hmm. So you've you've got basically amp crossover drivers, but inside an active speaker, the amp and the crossover are flipped around. So you have crossover, and then amplifiers so one per driver right so the the crossover is generally done in the digital domain yes most of the time right Hmm. in dsp so that's one of the advantages of having like the streaming coming into the loudspeakers and you can do dsp or you can do it anyway because you could just digitize your analog input but that's Hmm. not a trivial matter but anyway you basically get your crossover done the digital domain it splits the signal according to however many amplifiers you have feeding their own drivers and the benefit of that is that well you get i guess you have to go back to the sort of traditional way of looking at like having passive loudspeakers and then an amplifier on a bench somewhere is that that amplifier has to be designed to drive a broad range of loudspeakers but the amplifier designer doesn't know what loudspeakers it's going to be connected to right it's a yes i guess you call it a dumb amplifier right <laughs> well, I mean, it's one way of thinking of it because he doesn't know what it's going to be connected to. Whereas an active loudspeaker designer can, it, he knows or she knows the driver 
uh, so it's at the driver level, the driver that is going to be driven by the amplifier preceding it. So they can analyze the driver's acoustic properties. They can look at its frequency response, its impedance plot, yeah. and then tweak yeah. the amplifier yeah. to maximize the performance of that driver, right? Mm -hmm. you, do that, you do that two or three or four times inside a speaker, and you've got what is technically a more advanced sound. I mean, I'm not saying it's a, necessarily a magic bullet to the best, in quotes, sound, but on paper, from an engineering point of view, its advantages are, I would say, pretty much unassailable, right? Uh, yes, on paper, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. From a theoretical perspective, and uh, and you know, on paper, but and the, but then in reality, if you look at uh, specifications for, you see, even some of these speakers we've we've um, spoken about uh, that are active. Two ways, especially the smaller speakers, you, you look at the frequency response, you're like, wait a minute, you know, how can a speaker with that small of a driver and that small of a cabinet produce uh, such low bass and it's mm. due to DSP? Exactly. Because talking to Jack Ockley Brown about, mm. so I've, mis I've misspoken his name, Jack Ockley Brown about the LS60 wireless recently, he said there's no way that with the same cabinet size they could make a passive version of that speaker just not possible because the internal volume is just not mm -hmm. the right shape or not the right size. They'd need a maybe probably a bigger internal volume to move the, the amount of air to get the same on paper specs as the active version that we now have. So he was saying basically you can do things with DSP and juice more from a cabinet that you could ever do with a passive loudspeaker and a dumb amplifier. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be derogatory in my use of the term dumb, but I guess the the flip side of that coin is, you know, we've talked about them, name Unity Atom, NAD, Cambridge, Moon, all of these super integrators. I guess you, we could call them smart amplifiers, or some of them are, <laughs> right? Yes. Because, mm. well... I see what the, you did there, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Michael. <laughs> One of the key advantages of those sort of smart amplifiers, and some of them, so like the Blue Sound stuff, the NAD, uh, there's also an amplifier from Emotiva that does this, but I don't know whether it does it digitally or in the analog domain, I'm not too sure. But anyway, what it does, it has a subwoofer output, so obviously that's low-pass filtered, hmm. but it also has a sw switch on the back that Emotiva does for high-pass filtering the mains. And then the Blue Sound Power mm. Node has that inside the software. So does the NAD. So one of the key benefits I see of some of these smart amplifiers is basically optimal subwoofer integration, or yeah. more, more yeah. easy subwoofer integration. Because trying to integrate a subwoofer is hard. And the benefits of high pass mm. filtering your mains on a two-way loudspeaker. I'm talking about two ways here. You know, taking the low bass burden away from that mid bass driver and just letting the sub take care of it, I think is really advantageous, which is why I'm so enthusiastic about the Blue Sound Power Node, which I believe you have at the moment, right now. Yeah, I do. It's in for review, yes. Yeah, but I just, I, I think these, it may sound like they're trivial bits of functionality, but when you actually use them, you go, aha, well, okay, if the sub's doing a lot of the, the low bass work and the amplifier can high-pass filter the mains, mm. I don't need such a high-powered amplifier to drive my mains because they're not having to do low bass, right? Yes. So it, the power rating of the Blue Sound Power Node, I 
forgotten what it is. Is it 70 watts per channel? Oh God, I forgot. I have always to take it. a quick peek. I always look. forget these, but it doesn't matter as much if you're, you know, if you're putting a sub into your system and using the power node to, well, it's base management system to implement that sub. 80 watts. A, yeah. 80 watts a channel. For the power right. node. Yeah. You can never trust me to talk about the power output of the, the name Unity <laughs> Atom. I always get it wrong, right? It's either 40 or 60, and I always say the wrong one. And I'm not, I've done it so many times, it's ridiculous, because I keep second-guessing myself. Yeah. Anyway, so hmm. those the, we're, we're starting to see some real benefits from having the stream come into the app, because it's already in the digital domain, and therefore it can be processed, you know, with sub, you know, in this particular case, for subwoofer integration which I think is great, but it goes further than that, doesn't it? Because we're now seeing even more amps, and this is where I really wanted to get to, mm. is, is tackle a problem, which I think is the number one problem in all of hi-fi, and that is the room. So the room, either the room in which you put your speakers has a very large, significant effect on the sound of your speakers, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. And... Every room has bass problems, unless you're really lucky. I mean, but most people live in, I mean, I've said this many times, my apartment lounge room is six meters by five meters. Mathematically, it has a problem at 35 hertz, which then knocks on to 70 hertz hmm. and possibly even 140 as well. So that's, you, you just, there's no getting around it. There's literally almost nothing I could do with room treatments. I mean, apart from literally loading the entire wall with bass traps, which yeah. were just even... Even me, who's not afraid of putting stuff on the walls and treating the room, I wouldn't do that. It would just look even worse than it does <laughs> now. It doesn't look I, – I like the way my room looks, but a lot of people would go, there's no way I'm even doing that. And hmm. um, my experience with room correction amplifiers is they're really good at tackling bass problems. Yes. Less so at the higher frequencies, but I won't talk – I mean, that's more for passive treatments, but I'm not going to talk about that today. But room cor correcting amplifiers are great if you've got a bass problem. And everybody has a bass problem. And you're very lucky if you don't. I mean, I, I don't know whether you do, Michael, because your, your yeah. barn is pretty large, right? Yeah, I don't I don't have a bass problem because of two factors. Yeah, the size mm. of the space. And also, I have complete flexibility on where the speakers can be in the room. Right, right. It, which so is a huge, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit jealous, actually, because, you know, I'm always battling, well, space issues just for storage here, even, <laughs> let alone having to work out, am I going to put my speakers there or there? I mean, I did I did actually move the JBLs that I just I mentioned earlier, the 4349, close to the wall a couple of days ago to see mm. if I'd get more bass out of them. Yeah. But I realized, actually, in what I found out later on, it was actually the, I was just using the wrong amplifier for them which is a baseline mm, yeah. amplifier for those speakers. So I pulled them back out and I had them back where I liked them. But I don't have a lot of leeway on, on that front. And I would imagine that most people listening to this, you know, if they share their house with somebody else, they can't be bringing their speakers like four meters into the room. Right. Or, of course, you know, yes. like, <laughs> just they have to have them where they kind of look good and where they're not going to piss off other members of the family too much. Mm -hmm. and, and this is another great feature of, I guess also subwoofer integration, but room correcting amps is that they can help you optimize the sound of your speakers, even if they're not in the most perfect position in the room. Yes. Right. It can correct for yes. that. Same with the listening position. And I'll give some examples. Now there's one brand I don't know a lot about, 
I'm really sorry, and that's Anthem. But they have these room correction processes. I think they're probably bigger in the USA and Canada than they are here in Europe. But have you ever, do you have an experience with Anthem, Michael? I don't. Unfortunately, I don't. No. no. I understand they're very good. They're very good uh, room correcting uh, process. I think they make processes. I'm not sure if they make it integrated, but I'm just flagging them here because I don't normally mention them when I'm talking about room correcting amps, and I wanted to. Um, one of that I do have lots of experience with is the Lingdorf TDAI1120, but also mm. the 3400. But I'm coming to that later this year. But that little Lingdorf, mm. I, I, every time I use it, it makes me smile because mm. it's it makes it so easy to integrate a sub and it's so easy to kind of run its room correction algorithm and get a much better result from pretty much every speaker I've thrown at it. Yeah. And it's not mega money. It's $2,200 or euros. But yeah, twenty five hundred US, uh, right? Roughly, yeah. It's. I'm not saying it's the best sounding amplifier out there. Like I think most of the Hegels that I have, I think as just run purely as streaming integrated, that those sound better to me. They're sort of a bit meaty, a bit chunkier. I think the Lingdorf mm. sometimes can sound a little bit thin, mm. but if you're integrating a sub, that that kind of quibble evaporates. So, I you know I think as a sort of a, a smart amplifier that does a lot for you, wonderful choice. Same with the NAD M10 and the V2 that we looked at recently. Yeah. There's Dirac on board. You've yeah. looked at that as well, right? So Yes, I reviewed it re fairly recently. Yeah, love that yeah. little amp. Yeah, yeah, because the form factor's there. The, the front panel touchscreen, which I think you're more of a fan of than I am, <laughs> um, is there, but a lot of people like that. And it, you know, it corrects for the room's anomalies, especially in the low end. Yes. But... NAD aren't the only company that li licenses Dirac. I think Arcam do as well, but I have no experience with the Arcam amps. I'm afraid I don't either. Yeah, that's another one that I have not gotten to. But it's 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 a brand who you know they make a lot of AV processors and a lot of um, stereo integrateds that have Dirac on board. My friend Terry Ellis, who's the Dirac expert, he's got one. So he's he he. I don't know. Actually, I don't know whether he's got an nad to compare it so i've got no idea how it sort of performs relative to the nad maybe i'll have to ask him at some point to get him get an nad and put his dirac specialist eyes across both yeah i know that um i just did a quick search because i i thought i remember that onkyo has a, a number of receivers home theater receivers but i would imagine it it also shows up in some of their integrated amps. They have. I think. It, I think live. you're right. Yeah. 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 And that's at a, you know, I mean, at a, a, a price points lower than your average high high end hi fi. Yeah, because I think people should be more worried about. Well, no, not more worried. Hmm. They should concern themselves more with room correction software than they should worry about the nature of the DAC. Yeah. <laughs> well. Mm. Right. I mean, this is some, this is a drum that I've been beating quite a lot in the last year, but I think, you know, if you're, if you're in some way, if you're sitting there listening to this and you're somehow dissatisfied with the sound of your speakers in your room mm. or the sound of your hi-fi, then maybe it is your room that's causing the problem. I'm not saying it necessarily is, but it could be. And I think it's worth investigating these things. I mean, I think Dirac do have a standalone PC and Mac version again now, I think. Uh, and there's also a couple of processes that are made by Mini DSP. 
Yes, 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 yes. Which integrate Direct Live, which you can feed your favorite DAC with because one of them is, is digital only. So it takes digital in, processes the, the incoming signal with DSP, applies a Direct correction, and spits out digital over coax, and you can feed it into your DAC. And I think that's the, probably the most affordable way to get into Direct. And it's actually something I would love to see Lingdorf make. It's a just a, a digital only room perfect box. So digital in, digital out, room perfect correction ah, in the middle, mm, right? Mm. With obviously with the, the microphone connection. I'd love to see that from that company, but I don't know whether they would be cannibalizing the sale of their amps if they did that. I've got no idea. I don't know. Yeah, I would throw in one more. I know it's a little bit of a curveball. I'm going off list, curveball. Go ahead. But, um, as an option, uh, the Weiss DACs, the 501 and 502, mm -hmm. um, they're essentially the same one as a half, well, not even a half chassis, it's a small chassis and then a full chassis. Um, they offer room correction. So, you know, for people who are looking, uh, room equalization, so mm. to be more specific, um, there's also mm -hmm. an uh, equalizer in there. Um, but you know, for people who are pretty well happy with with their, let's even say with their amp speaker, but you know they've got separates, um, mm. but they wouldn't mind trying out uh, room correction. I mean, it is that is one way to do it. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are other DACs out there, but I'm completely blanking that offer room correction. Maybe I don't know of many actually. I, I think it's generally um. For the way I see the, the hi-fi world is generally an amplifier thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Weiss, it's an interesting product. Very good sounding mm. um, DAC as well. Um, and it gives you, you know, it gives you that that flexibility, you know, to deal. And and I did review it, and you can definitely deal with uh, bass issues. Mm. You know, you can tame bass issues very easily with it. So just another yeah. you know another option for people you know for people who are more traditional in their approach to hi-fi building let's say you know but anyway i mean i'm i guess yeah. i'm finding it increasingly more of a challenge to look at say a standard streaming amplifier like a hegel for example hmm. and then think well i could use this for this particular pair of speakers but I'm really interested to know what the Lingdorf could do or the NAD could do with Dirac because yeah. hmm. they have that extra layer of, of room, co well, compensation, correction. Hmm. I prefer the word compensation, but, um, you know, there's that extra layer there that I can access at any point. And it, it tends to, dim for me, you know, like even, like I've said, the Lingdorf isn't the best sounding amplifier that I have here, not by a long shot, but if I'm thinking about, correcting the speakers with their software then it makes it makes it an easy choice so even if i've got another really great amplifier to hand if that other really great amplifier doesn't have a room correction layer on it i'm like ah yeah i'm not going to use that because it doesn't have the room correction software yeah which, which has i guess what i'm trying to say is it, the room correction when done well and, and and properly has more of an impact on what we hear than the step up from amp A to amp B. Mm. Or from DAC A to DAC B. For, or yeah. from DAC A to DAC B, yeah. Or from streamer A to streamer B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I just, I'm finding myself increasingly excited by these smart amplifiers. Yeah, I would also add the techniques, the SUR1000, oh, yeah. to, the, to the list because it does have a, a room 
compensation, (laughs) since you prefer, it does offer uh, that feature. Oh, really? Um, So you can use a microphone to analyze the room? No, you know, it's interesting. It's it's the way that this particular uh, compensation filter works is it's it's related to the the feedback it gets from the speaker. You know, it's yeah. You know what? I can't. I don't want to get into the nitty gritty partly mm. because I won't do justice from memory. <laughs> so is it more of a speaker compensation? Uh, speaker calibration, really. It's looking at, huh. the, at the speaker's response um, and adjusting for that response. It, mm. Yeah. But um, it's, it's effective. Um, it's a, I've reviewed that as well. And it certainly is effective at, um, at, at dealing with especially bass issues mm. and the nice thing about a lot of these um f- uh, when these th- when room correction calibration or compensation is incorporated as it is in the techniques and in many of the other products we've mentioned you can turn it on and off i mean you can you know it's not something that's always in play if you don't want it right. to be, so you can hear the difference you know and the, that that difference in many cases is not subtle <laughs> well here's but, another um, thing though yeah mm. so you, you can do something with Dirac that you can't do with Lingdorf's Room Perfect. I, I think mm. you can. Mm. Is that you can load into your NAD amp or your Arcam amp. You can load in, I think it's up to five profiles. Yeah. So you might have yeah. like a correction profile yeah. for like normal, like 85 dB listening. Mm. But then you might have one, a separate one that you use for later night listening where you bring the volume down, let's say it's 70 dB mm. in the seat. And you want a little push in the bottom end to bring that up and a bit of push in the top end, a bit like a loudness button yes. on those receivers of your, right? So hmm. you could just, all you got to do is reach the remote and click it on and you've got a, a, a correction for a different listening mode, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say one thing I, from, you know, personal experience in using these in a bunch of different products. And that is, I don't always prefer the perfectly corrected version. Oh no, no! That's why I got Terry to do the um, <laughs> the the Dirac on my NAD M10 V2 review because the I think the default correction I find a bit lean. Yes. Oh yeah. Me too. I do prefer a, a little more oomph. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, then yeah, that typically is your time, which you can adjust and you can. Yeah, in in these kind of products, but yeah, and uh, yes. Yeah, I just I just find all of these um, amplifiers fascinating. Like there's one from Bookart Audio, who uh, seem to be YouTube reviewers' favorite. Um, they have an integrated amplifier now, which puts in the the room correction smarts that they had in or have in their A500 streaming active loudspeaker, mm. and that's actually done with a an iPhone, I believe. So you sort of like wave your iPhone around the room, huh. and it tries to acoustically map the room. I think they use the iPhone only because the microphones are known quantities on the iPhone, or you only have to know know the microphones on, say, the last three generations or four generations. It's not like Android where there's just a thousand different mics and setups there. Hmm. But they have room correction in their amplifier, but they also have that the thing I've just actually mentioned with the Dirac thing, where you like essentially a digital loudness button. Hmm. So when you're listening at low levels, it's not actually a button because with the Booker, I think if you've got it turned on, when you turn the volume down because our hearing is non-linear, 
it gives a boost to the bass and a boost to the treble at low volumes. And the and the lower you go, the more that boost kicks in. Which, and I've said, I, mm. I think I said this in the last podcast actually, is I wish more companies would implement this. I think it's a brilliant feature. So if Blue Sound are listening, please put this into your amplifiers. It's, it's wonderful. Mm. So there's mm. there's so much can be done with DSP, but the purists hate it. Well, actually, I'll come back to purist grumbles in a moment because <laughs> I want to I want to get to like where where I'm really genuinely excited about yeah um, room correction, and that's inside the speaker. Mm. So I mean, the speakers that I was trying to avoid talking about earlier on were the Key Three. Now, there's no room correction in the Key Three, but the DSP is designed so that the speaker fires uh, cardioid dispersion, especially in the low frequencies. So mm. it's mainly to the front and not so much the sides. So you minimize your side wall reflections, even your ceiling reflections, actually. It's like a ball that comes out. Mm. Um, mm. Very effective. So it means that you know what you hear in the store demo is pretty much what you're going to hear at home. So they don't talk to the room as much. And they're, they're also a great-looking loudspeaker. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've only heard the key three at shows. Mm. However, that... And we've we've mentioned this before. I believe mm -hmm. we touched on this when I uh, was going over Exponent, uh, specifically the um, oh god, the eyeball speakers. That's my uh, oh the Cabas, the Cabas. That yes, I would add that those to the list. But um, interestingly, speakers with room correction um, do typically sound very good at shows because <laughs> they can adjust yes. to the room. Yep. And I've heard the key three at shows sound simply stunning. Yeah. As if the room didn't exist. Well that's the the, the that was what Bruno Putzi's tried to do yes. with yeah, the DSP yeah. design, right? Yeah. Um, I think he came he succeeded. <laughs> I think he did. <laughs> I think when he so when Bruno sets his mind to things, he typically works them out. <laughs> yes he does, yes. In my experience, yeah. Yeah. But those Kabas speakers as well, the room was no longer an issue, um, and that and in the in in these very challenging ho small hotel room environments. So mm. yeah, I mean that's huge. It really is. Well, I mean, challenging environments is is really or are what most of us are dealing with. Yeah, you know, I don't know anybody. Well, the, the, there's probably like a, a small slice, a small percentage of listeners who've got. Their dedicated listening room with all the treatments done, all the bass traps in place. Yeah. So they've got a nice, smooth response from their room. But most people don't have that. Yes. I, I don't even have that. I mean, I know I have all my acoustic treatment here, but that's mainly for the mid range and the higher frequencies. It doesn't do anything really for the bass. Mm. So that's why I really kind of lean on smart amplifiers to take care of that end of the frequency spectrum and therefore smart speakers as well. Talking of which. Another one that sells for similar to key three money, it's quite expensive, isn't it? It's like 10, 12 grand, is the, um, the Dutch and Dutch HC. Mm -hmm. This is a very clever speaker because you can load in individual frequency point corrections into that speaker. So you measure your room, or rather you measure each speaker's frequency response in the room. And you look, okay, you, you look at it and go, okay, I've got a big peak at 35 hertz. So then you load into, well, well, let's assume it's the left channel. You load into the left speaker digitally using their web interface, a correction for that 35 hertz peak. So you might want to take it down 5 dB mm. with a Q of 20 or whatever it is, right? I mean, it's quite an involved process to do it initially, but once you've got it set up, fantastic. 
but that's more of a I'd say that the Dutch and Dutch are more of a tweaker's paradise than mm-hmm. a sort of every man kind of room correction loudspeaker. Mm. Um, that's because it's just quite a, quite a fiddly process, I think, for beginners. Um, I have a pair of Genelex here. Mm. I think they're called the 8341. I can never remember. And they have a room correction system, which I don't own. And I've only played with it once. That was a long time ago, but it did seem to, I think you, I remember it being fairly good. I don't remember it being amazing, but then again, my experience with this stuff back then, five years ago, isn't what it wasn't what it is now. So yes, 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 yeah. You know, this, that also comes into play because we go, "Oh, John, you said five years ago." Well, yeah, but like you know, my experience has, has come a long way since then. So, you know, I'm. I guess this is why I was so excited about one particular speaker in Munich. That's the Dyn Audio Focus Series for 2022, yeah. Yeah. because they're a streaming active loudspeaker with. Dirac live built in. Mm. It's, it's everything you need, like literally everything you need yeah. in, in one speaker. Nothing else to worry about, right? So I, I think that's a very exciting speaker. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a pair, actually. I'm, I'm trying to sort of chase those down at the moment because, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I really want to – I want to see how they, they stack up against the LS60 wireless, basically. Yeah, that would be a very interesting comparison for mm. sure. Yeah, I'm getting in a pair. I just don't know exactly when. Yeah. But I guess you can probably pick up from what I'm, what I'm putting down here is that my idea of Futurify is basically super integrated or smart amplifiers, and then I guess smart speakers, really, smart active loudspeakers, streaming loudspeakers. Um, and people might ask, well, what about headphones? And this is a real thorny one, I think, Hmm. because I don't see much evidence of what I consider to be Futurify in the headphone world beyond Bluetooth headphones. Now, I have to to unpack that a bit Hmm. because, Hmm. yes, Bluetooth is a lossy transmission mechanism, but what it allows us to do or what it allows engineers to do is put a digital stream into the earphone cup. And then when it's in the earphone cup, it can be DSP'd mm. and the amplifier can be optimized for the driver. It's like basically like a streaming active loudspeaker in headphone form, right? But just the stream isn't over your home mm. Wi-Fi. Mm. It's over right, Bluetooth right. from your phone, right? Right. And I guess my idea of Futurify is, is it needs to be relatable. Generally, all of this stuff needs to be relatable, which is why I think single box amplifiers or just streaming loudspeakers are very relatable because you don't have to get your head around compiling a hi-fi system. It's Mm. like those two passives and that integrated or just those two streaming actives. And I think it's the same in the headphone world. People don't want to have to think about, and my thinking has changed on this Mm. because I used to think that outboard DAC amps were okay, but I'm just really, I just think it's so clunky having to kind of hold that or strap it to your phone. I just, uh, I don't know. Whereas I think, Bluetooth headphones are an extremely elegant solution. And once Bluetooth headphones go lossless, that yeah. that will probably be the biggest move in, in the headphone world in like 15, 20 years. Hmm. Because then why do you need to worry about um you know your DAPs and your portable DAC amps? I know again, you can get better sounds from those things with a you know a really nice pair of headphones, but just as you can with a really nice pair of passive speakers and yeah. a really great amplifier like separates. So if you want to go the separates route, you can probably get a better result. But it's going to well, cost mm. you more money. 
and it's going to be more of a pain. Yeah, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure I would necessarily say better. Okay. I mean, it's it's certainly possible, but what I am thinking of, um, and it's at least for me, it's a difficult thing to get my to speak about clearly. Mm. But with loudspeakers, um, loudspeakers, I would suggest more than any other piece of the hi-fi chain have character. And we we select our loudspeakers because we essentially <laughs> like the way they sound. Mm-hmm. But that character, um, DSP will not make a um, a a, uh, a blue sound uh, node attached to um, you know some. Uh, $200 passives sound like a pair of Wilson speakers. That's right. a very extreme example, but yeah, yeah, but for a reason. And it also, so, uh, you know, and then if you get into single driver speakers, horn speakers, all these different panel speakers, you know, people choose their speakers because of their character. And DSP will not change a speaker's character. Uh, and what I mean by that is they won't make a panel speaker sound like a horn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, so with um, with uh, passive systems, passive speakers, and then separates, you know, there's a much wider array of character out there that we can select from. Um, so yeah, that's why I said the Dynaudio focus will, I, I'd be very interested in your comparison to the, um, the Kefs, mm. right? Because of the character. And that's where my interest comes in. Well, I'll give you an, I'll give you mm. a good example about yeah. character, right? That was so, a bit clunky. I really no, no, was, it's, I it's, know. Yeah. It's cool. But I, I guess like, so the, the, the JBLs that I've mentioned, the four, three, four, nine, yes. they are, I think, a 7,000 or 8,000 euro loudspeaker. Hmm. Now, hmm. if I have those hooked up to a name Unity Atom, so I get all of the functionality from that system as I do, well, pretty much as I do from the LS60 wireless, I think I just about prefer the JBLs with a name because I like the character of the JBLs quite a bit, actually, because they're very dynamic. Yes, yes, but yes. But that, that system is three or four grand more expensive than the LS60 wireless because... Yes. Obviously, you're paying for separate chassis for the outboard amp, and so it's just because it's not all in one, you you end up generally paying more. I mean, that's a very simplistic way of looking at the world, the mm. hi-fi world, but I mm. think it's reasonably true. I want. To, can mm. I talk about my grandfather? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've been waiting to hear about your grandfather. So my granddad, he used to tell this story all the time about when he was a kid, right? So maybe in the, in the thirties in the UK, and he would talk about, I think, yeah, buying a car for the first Mm. time. And he would talk about how he'd have to go off to one manufacturer to get the, get the engine. And then another manufacturer would, would supply him with this sort of the shell of the car, the metal shell. And then another one would supply the, I guess, what do you call it? The, the, the transmission of the car. So yeah. converts the engine into the movement of the wheels and that kind of thing. So the, the, 
the baseline structure. I don't know how much about cars. It's what my granddad told me. Hmm. But basically, he, his car would come from many, many different manufacturers, and he built it himself. Now, of course, I'm talking absolute horseshit here <laughs> because that never happened, right? Because that would be madness to build a car in that kind of way, right? Now, right. so early on, I think a lot of, well, pretty much every, everything we have in our home is, has a certain appliance-like quality. Mm. In fact, most of them, you know, washing machine is an appliance. Coffee maker is an appliance. Mm. Laptops an appliance. They don't come from separate manufacturers. Mm. I just think the hi-fi world is still playing catch-up mm. on this idea mm. of being an appliance. I'm not necessarily, I've got to be careful here. I'm not saying everybody needs to adopt this approach. But I think if high-end audio is to talk to more mainstream customers, as Sonos has shown, Banger Lufthansa has shown, and Adivule has shown, we need to be talking about all-in-one products that have an appliance-like quality. Mm. Right mm. now, the grumble about this from the grumpies who will never give up their separates. I don't know why they're even grumbling because these products really aren't for them, but they do anyway. Is that you know, if it breaks, the whole thing has to go in for repair, right? The whole speaker system or the whole smart amplifier has to go off, right? Mm -hmm. But how is that any different to your car, to your washing machine, to your coffee maker, to your mm. laptop, mm. to your smartphone? Because they are appliances. So I guess this is another sort of strong theme in my FutureFi idea is that HiFi, I think, really ha needs to have more of an appliance-like quality and less of this sort of wacky garden shed, build it bit by bit from different components and stitch them all together hmm. type of approach. I love that approach. I love it. But I'm under no illusions that the, the, the mainstream are not going to pick up on this. Not ever. Never. But they might, you know, you see people wandering around the Bang & Lufthansa store on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. I've watched them, you know, like look at people looking, oh, that looks quite interesting. And then they sort of recoil at the price. But it's just, yeah, I, I, this idea of relatability. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I, as we're talking about all these things, I, I do have the luxury of being, I can have a split personality because exactly. I have this yes. separate um, building right where yep. where I work and our home. So mm -hmm. if 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 the barn disappeared tomorrow, you know, and I and I got a job doing something else, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was I was looking for a hi fi for our home, I would be looking for um, sp streaming speakers, right. Because of space requirements um, and any number of other things, uh, it just makes perfect sense um, for the way we live. It, you mm -hmm. know, in our home, um, that's a that's just such a great solution. And plus one, if those speakers that would be in the main room uh, could also this you know the the control software I use could also control the system in the bedroom, and that's it mm -hmm. basically for our home. Um, but all bathroom, whatever, if we're going crazy, but you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I can be very old school out here in the barn, which is what I, I do enjoy. Mm. Um, but I also enjoy equally the other side of that coin, which would live in the house. But when I visit friends, regular people <laughs> who aren't in the hobby, mm. so I, the only thing I ever see, and even relatives is, um, 
if there was any care taken to adding music or, you know, a surround system or better sound from a TV, it's been Sonos. Right. Yeah. yeah. Active speakers, streaming active loudspeakers. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I can really relate to your split personality idea because I, I have this, I've had the same thing this weekend because I've really enjoyed playing around these JBLs, the name and all the other amplifiers. But, you mm. know, tomorrow the LS60s go back in and I'm really going to enjoy the sort of the all-in-one unified approach there. Yes. It's yeah, just yeah. one one doesn't squeeze out the other. Mm-hmm. I can be into both at the same time. It's a kind of a radical idea for people who are hung up on idealism, right? Because yes, yes. If the, you want to be path, re- yes. <laughs> right, if you want to be really idealistic, you can go, well, I like to choose every every component separately and stitch them together. That's fine. But I'm not saying that I don't appreciate that because I really really do and I think it's a lot of fun. But I also know that it's a faff and a fiddle, and it's not for mums and dads or even anybody who's not really deep into audio. Casual hi-fi enthusiasts, if you want to call them that, or people who want to just step up from Sonos or looking around for what's next, they're not going to be necessarily going to be looking at separates. I think they'll find that key threes or Dyne Audio focus loudspeakers will be the most logical step because Mm -hmm. it's not too different to the Sonos setup that they have already, plus yeah. it has more advanced room correction, or passive speakers plus a smart amplifier. I mean, that's another step beyond streaming actives, but it's probably still not too much to ask of your sort yeah. of Sonos, you know, Sonos owning family or person who wants to go to the next the next level. Yes. Uh, well, hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Just one other. Um, piece of the criteria puzzle especially when we're talking about living with things in in your normal home environment um is the look of speakers Mm -hmm. i certainly would never ever put a pair of speakers in my home that i didn't like how they look that's all there is to it so if somebody said oh you know these speakers are are the best and blah and they're it'd be like yeah well that's fine i don't like the way they look so forget it Oh, but they do this. It's like, you know, forget it. You don't get it. It's not going to happen. I don't yeah. care about, you know, the number one criteria, what my starting point when picking anything that goes into the home I live in is how it looks, not, you know, uh, in the living area. You know, if somebody doesn't say, oh, this is the best sofa you can buy and it's so inexpensive. It's like, yeah, it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. No, I don't want a green sofa in my house, you know? So anyway, so yeah. <clears throat> So uh, t- today there is a, there are a limited number of of what you're calling smart streaming speakers or smart speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this the smart uh, amp with passive speaker gets opens up a world of possibility, and that is a huge advantage. I can have you know, and back to that character idea. Yeah, there's many more choices out there um, for looks and sound if you go with passive speakers, just the way it is. But you, yes, to your point, you're adding that another step of yeah complexity or, you know, you've got another box. So I think at this stage, the, the sort of smart amplifier plus passive loudspeakers hmm. seems to be this sort of happy medium yes. between the ultimate separate idealist approach and then the sort of ultra-minimal streaming loudspeaker approach. Mm-hmm. And I think at, at, certainly at this stage in the game, Yes, there are a lot of streaming active loudspeakers out there, but there are more smart amplifiers with room correction. 
mm. in in out there at the moment. So mm-hmm. yes, if I was cho- if I had to, mm. if I was forced to choose, I would probably mm. go smart amplifier plus passives because I don't think the streaming active loudspeaker world is quite there yet. But it's this is I guess the theme is that I guess I'm trying to push it as well is that this is the way the world is going, whether we like it or not. I mean, look at. I mean, yeah, Dyn Audio going all in on, stre- on streaming actives. Kef doing the same thing. Yeah. We're going to see a lot of companies like YG. That yes. would have been un- unthinkable five years ago. And now they've got a streaming active loudspeaker. Mm. Look at the success of the Key 3 and the Dutch and Dutch. Mm. You know, they haven't yeah. just sort of come up and fallen by the wayside. They keep keeping going. In fact, Key 3, sorry, Key 3, Key just opened up a new factory and showroom in Germany. Huh. So they must they must be going really well. Good for them. So. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I get. I, I find myself increasingly drawn to this sort of Futurefy type hardware, hmm. even though I do love the separate play thing. I really, really do. It's funny you mentioned the aesthetics of passives, actually, because this is where I come a little bit unstuck with these JBLs because I love everything about them apart from the way they look, and I prefer the look of the Klipsch. Um, I'm not going to say which one sounds the best yet because I've got a video coming about that, ah. but um. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to, you know, tip my hand. Also, I've not really had them here for long enough to be able to kind of make that call. But yeah, like, could I live with the JBLs long term? Probably, but it's it's certainly it's it's not as visually appealing to me as the Klipsch Forte Four. Yeah. So swings and roundabouts. So yeah, I just finished my review of the Klipsch uh, Cornwall Four. Oh, you did? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, Inked awaiting fact check approval. So yeah, it's done. Man, I'd love to hear those, but I just don't have the space. I just have the room for those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean they're 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 not small. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I reckon they'd sound fantastic even in here, but uh, yeah. But I, I would still slap a, a a smart amplifier on them and maybe some room correction as well. Especially in well, especially in here, but Well, yeah. I mean if you put them in 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 a in a well, let's say a, a medium or normal size room, you mm. know they do have they do put out some energy. And yeah, I'm right. Sh- I'm sure if you don't have flexibility with placement, yeah, you're gonna have. They're gonna be they. I would imagine you might have bass boom issues. Mm. Yeah. Shall we um? Shall we wrap this up then, Michael? And yeah, and then take it home with some album picks. Yeah, um, let's. Did you want to go? Do you want to go first? Oh, sure. Yeah. So my pick, and I'll say, please excuse my pronunciation going in. <laughs> okay. So the album title is Estatica, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think I did a fair job. That's E S T A T I C A, and this is from a pair of uh, Mexican musicians. Uh, I really have no idea. M A B E. So that's a woman's first name. Uh, would you say Mabe? It could probably Mabe, yeah. Mabe Frati. Frati, yeah. And Concepcion Huerta. Uh huh. That was great. I mean, what was wrong with that? Yeah, no, I tried. I practiced. Yeah. <laughs> I ate a lot of honey, so I loosened up my uh, mouth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this, it's, it's fascinating music to me. So this, um, so, um, Mabe Frati plays uh, cello, mm-hmm. but she's. Uh, you, let's classify all what I'm talking. This album as being experimental music. 
So, you know, she's not a straightforward cellist. She's a cellist composer, but experimental cellist composer. And then uh, Concepcion Huerta is a uh, um, multidiscipl- uh, multidisciplinary artist. So what we're talking about is cello, electronics, um, field recordings, uh, some vocal uh, and it's an EP length album. So mm-hmm. roughly, let's say, is it 24? Yeah, 25, 24, 25 minutes. And um, it's, I think it's just beautiful. It's beautiful in the way that it mixes all of these elements. So the sound of the cello, which I think for most people is just very heartwarming. You hear, I hear a cello and I'm in love already, you know, a few notes hmm. in, but it's mixed with all of these other elements, but my way of hearing it's done so well that it's seamless. It doesn't feel Frankenstein together. All these elements blend perfectly and it's, it's conveying. I really think one of the things they were trying to do is convey a mood and a, um, and some reflection on, on uh, on a particular moment in time, uh, a particularly dumb, difficult moment in time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, nonetheless, I find it to be just beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful, somewhat challenging record, and 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 very much um, of its own. It's got a very unique quality. Uh, like I don't when I listen to it, I don't go, "Oh, you know, that sounds like." Um, Fenez, or you know what I'm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's yeah, I can hear some bits and pieces of things, but it they're both fairly young. Uh, they're performers, composers, and it just I, I don't know. It's I can listen to it over and over and over, and, and continue to hear new things in it. Mm. So yeah, highly recommended. Beautiful record. I mean, it's it sounds very sophisticated compared to my completely dumb choice. <laughs> really. <laughs> I do a super dumb record here. Well, it's our actually... theme. It's smart and dumb, right? That <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm about to shoot myself in the foot because I've done. I think I've done pretty well recently in in communicating to the audience that I don't just listen to electronic music. Mm. But this one, <laughs> this yeah. is just big, bold, dumb electronic music from the '90s, mm. and it's quite. Um, it's it's a fantastic compilation of music that is just. I mean, it's real Friday night music. If you well, what mm. certainly was when I was younger, mm. and I think if you played it now, it's pretty energizing. It's a compilation called Wipeout 2097, mm. which I think, well, I know it was that was a game on the PlayStation at the time. I think though the compilation had a different title in the USA. I think it was called Wipeout XL, huh. and it came out in '97, and it features Fluke, Chemical Brothers, Prodigy, Orbital, Underworld. Future Sound of London, Daft Punk, Left Field, I think Fotex on it as well. So basically every big name in mainly British electronic music mm. in the, the 90s is on this compilation. And it's just so much dumb fun to listen to. <laughs> and it, yeah, it just, it definitely wakes you up. It ain't sophisticated in the slightest. And it sort <laughs> of came, it came out at a, at a time, quite a weird time actually, 97 was when, Britpop was just sort of slowly starting to disintegrate. Hmm. And also electronic music was sort of um, um, growing up and it was coming out of sort of under motorway service station raves and into sort of big clubs. And it was also starting to break, in inverted commas, America. 
or the Chemical Brothers were. And then I mm. think Americans had, what were they called? The Crystal Method, which were kind of like the uh, the American version of the Chemical Brothers. Mm. So there were, I think Orbital went on a tour with those guys. The late 90s when a lot of these bands, Underworld as well, broke the USA. So this compilation sort of captures that moment in time for me. Mm. Um, it's I've played it again this afternoon. A lot of fun to listen to. The, the catch, though, here's the catch. It ain't on streaming services. So I went out uh, and bought this afternoon while well, I ordered on Discogs uh, the CD because mm. I thought I can't mention it on here because there weren't that many left. And if I did look at the vinyl <laughs> copies, if you want a mint vinyl, 150 euros, please. Wow. So, yeah, it's, yeah. but the CD, I think, turns up in used bins quite often or used to, but I haven't seen it for a while. But um, yeah, so I ordered one and I'm looking forward to well, playing the CDs, but I've got the stream as well from my server at home, which reminds me actually, and I, I've really, I'm kicking myself for admitting this or for getting it to this stage, but Futurefy also encompasses Rune because Rune is, uh, mm. it, it, I know we don't talk much about software, but it to me it is an important component that sort of ties all of this hardware together with a very elegant interface. I'm mentioning it because I was playing Wipeout 2097 through Rune this afternoon. And it, yeah, it really does. It, it brings everything together, but it is also highly relatable. And a Sonos user would not recoil if Rune was put in front of them. Yes. I think they would be quite excited by it, right? Yes. And I can't yeah. think of many software apps. Maybe the Kef Connect app now would be, maybe the Auralink. I don't know. But then again, you still making the jump from Sonos, it's it's quite a leap to a lot of these things. Yeah, the Blue OS, I think is... Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. But I, th I think we underestimate sort of the mass market's intolerance for quirks. And I'm, mm. not, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about that because I think they are quite right to kind of go, well, this is a bit weird. Don't like that. So, But I don't think Rune has any of those quirks, apart from the price. I think maybe... Sonos uses my bulk of the price, but if they're stepping up from Sonos to a, I don't know, a 10 grand system, they'll just roll it into that extra 700 bucks for the, uh, the lifetime and just go, well, we will just do that. So yeah, just sneaking rune under the door at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> Good move. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think our work is done as Steve Guttenberg might say, Michael. Yeah. I would just add, John, you just cost me money. Um, Why? You did because the album I was talking about, I have the download, but I've been eyeing up the vinyl. There's a, a limited edition vinyl version, and, and I oh, literally just bought it because I'm like, <laughs> ah, I've got to have it. <laughs> <laughs> whilst we were talking, whilst we're talking now, how rude. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, no, it was, wasn't rude. You were talking. So, I mean, you know, no. Yeah, I was crapping on about something again, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So, anyway, I just. Hmm. I just, I, I like hi-fi that has the potential to be relatable to a much broader audience because it lacks the complexity and the quirks and the sort of, yeah, the train spotter weirdness <laughs> that a lot of hi-fi, it does, it does have that. And I like some of that. I really do. Part, like I said, hmm. split personality, part of me is a train spotter hmm. for hi-fi, but the other part of me, like, no, I want it to be more like Sonos. Hmm. Which is what, which is why I, I champion Bluetooth headphones because they are closer to, like a good pair of Bluetooth headphones is closer to say Apple earbuds or Sony earbuds. I mean, there aren't that many kind of really high end Bluetooth headphones available yet. But as we said in the last podcast, I think there might be moving forwards like luxury mm. Bluetooth headphones. So mm. yeah, 
Anyway, I'm crapping on about Good. the same stuff over and over. So let's <laughs> let's let's draw a line under it. <laughs> Michael, I will leave you to go and buy more records. Yes. On what? Right. <laughs> so I don't want to get in your way. So um, <laughs> no, it's fine. You keep talking. I can keep buying. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for ninety-eight percent of your time and attention this afternoon. Yes. My pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk to you next time. All right. Cheers. You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines' Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt. <laughs>